This evening we're going to be looking at the cities of destruction, Genesis chapter 19, verse 12 through to 26. And we'll be looking at details concerning the moments leading up to and including the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Back in Genesis chapter 13 and verse 13, the men of Sodom were said to be wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. Then in chapter 18 and verse 20, the Lord described the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah as very grievous. And in our current chapter, chapter 19, we've already seen something of the wickedness and the exceeding and grievous sin of the men of Sodom, in that they surrounded Lot's house. And as can be seen in verse 5, they called unto him and said unto him, Where are the men which came in to thee this night? Bring them out unto us, that we may know them. In other words, they wanted to commit homosexual sins against Lot's two visitors. That particular wickedness of the men of Sodom is mentioned in the New Testament in Jude chapter 1 verse 7 and is described as going after strange flesh. Concerning Jude chapter 1 verse 7, John Gill, the Bible commentator, said, Going after strange flesh or other flesh, meaning not other women besides their own wives, but men, and designs that detestable and unnatural sin, which from these people is called sodomy to this day, and which is an exceeding great sin, contrary to the light of nature and law of God, dishonourable to human nature, and scandalous to a nation and people. What we'll be seeing this evening is the two visitors of Lot, who were angels sent by the Lord, far from falling prey to the sexually depraved men of Sodom, they struck them blind. They delivered Lot and his family, and finally Sodom and Gomorrah were well and truly destroyed. Let's have a look again at verses 9 through, well, not look at these. Uh, This is a bit of background information now. Verses 9 through to 11 in Genesis 19. And they said, stand back. And they said again, this one fellow came into sojourn and he will needs be a judge. This is the, the wicked men of Sodom speaking here. Now will we deal worse with thee than with them? And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. But the men put forth their hand and pulled Lot into the house to them and shut to the door and they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness both small and great so that they wearied themselves to find the door so what we see there is Lot he'd gone outside his house and he shut the door behind him and as I said last week that was a a brave move on his part he in, in effect he put himself as a barrier between these sexually depraved men of Sodom and his two visitors. Mind you, what he, de- what he proposed when he offered his two virgin daughters wasn't so good. That's something else we looked at last week. But he shut the door behind him and he pleaded with the wicked men of Sodom, 
on behalf of his two visitors, the two men in his house, whom we are told in verse 1 were angels. Two men inside his house were angels. That's not left to conjecture, that's given to us. Uh, As can be seen in verse 9, Lot's supplication fell on sinfully deaf ears. The Sodomites, with their evil desires burning within them, pressed hard against Lot and came near to break down his door. However, the two angelic visitors rescued Lot by putting forth their hand, pulling him inside the house, and then they shut the door. Without reading too much into it, we already have enough in verse 10 to indicate that Lot's two heavenly visitors were endowed with great strength in that they were able to open the door and they were able to pull Lot inside the house and shut the door again without the Sodomites forcing their way into the house. We do well to remember that those two angels were endowed with that strength. They were sent by by one who is altogether infinitely more mighty. They were sent by Almighty God, who is able to deliver his servants from all manner of perilous situations, such as when he delivered Daniel from the jaws of the lions. And as we see here, when he delivered um, Lot and his two visitors from the evil men, the desperately wicked men of Sodom. What we see with Lot's deliverance and the Sodomites being blinded is somewhat reminiscent of what happened about a thousand years later when the prophet Elisha and his servant were surrounded by the Syrian army. They'd been sent by the king of Syria to capture Elisha the prophet and take him back to the king. On that occasion, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite this people, I pray thee, with blindness. And he smote them with blindness, according to the word of Elisha the prophet. In the case of the Syrian army, Elisha then led them, he led the army who had been blinded, he led them to Samaria, and that has resulted in some of the Bible commentators, such as John Gill, to point out that the blindness was not total. For they could follow the prophet in the way that he went and led them. So they weren't completely blind, they were very confused and perhaps partially sighted in as much as they were still able to follow um, the prophet to Samaria. Similarly, it's been pointed out that the Sodomites were not completely blinded but that their vision was rendered so dull that they could distinguish nothing. I don't know about that. As far as I'm concerned, whether the Sodomites were completely blinded or just partially blinded and and confused, the thing to note is the unrelenting determination of those wicked men to fulfil the lust of the flesh and to fulfil the lust of their father, the devil. Look again at verse 11 there. They smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both great, small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. Look at that last bit. They wearied themselves to find the door. As such, they persevered 
despite being either struck blind or partially blind. Who knows? Quite frankly, it doesn't really matter. But you can see that they, they were unrelenting. They tried to get through that door and to get to the two visitors that were in the house of Lot. Why was there that level of determination by the Sodomites? Why didn't they just call it a day and try to find their way home? Most of all, why didn't they fall on their faces and cry out to God for mercy at that point? It just goes to show how sinful sin is. I talked about that this morning, didn't I? The sinfulness of sin. Again, I, I sometimes wonder, even with Christians, well, obviously the unregenerate, they, they don't understand sin really to any great degree. But even Christians, saved by the grace of God, believing that Jesus bare their sins in his own body at the cross, they don't necessarily understand the sinfulness of sin. And even my, in my own case, I, I, I would have to confess that... Uh, my understanding of sin now is far greater than it was when I became a Christian because as I've got older, uh, I I just appreciate more and more how thoroughly uh, sinful sin is, my sin is. And I can understand it when I read the Apostle Paul who'd been a believer for about 30 years. He still said, oh wretched man that I am. Paul, the apostle who wrote most of the New Testament, he said, in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. That was a man who really had a handle on the sinfulness of sin. It is utterly sinful. We see that on that centre cross, what the Lord Jesus Christ endured for the joy that was set before him. But before that joy that was set before him, when he would be seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, the Apostle Paul, he drunk the cup of sin at the cross when his father laid upon him the iniquity of the church, of all who truly believe in him. Sin is a horrible thing. And when sin, when you understand how horrible, how terrible sin is, you'll understand why Those sodomites didn't just think, oh, I've had enough of this, I've been blinded, it's time to call it a day. They just keep on going. Because that's the nature of sin. Unless, of course, the grace of God intervenes. We see it with the devil. In Revelation chapter 12 and verse 12, it's written... Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he have but a short time. The devil's days are numbered. In the end, he will most certainly be cast into the lake of fire, spoken of in Revelation chapter 20. His days are numbered. He was dealt a death blow at the cross when Jesus crushed his head at the cross. So why doesn't he call it a day? Because he's evil. That's the simple answer. The devil is evil. 
And so too are all who do the lust of the devil. They're not going to stop. And we don't see that with these sodomites either. They just simply were not prepared to stop with what they were doing. People sin because they're sinners. And they will not and they cannot stop. They have desperately wicked hearts like their father the devil and they too will be punished with everlasting destruction unless, as I've already said, God God intervenes and he saves them by his grace through faith in his dear son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who was victorious over sin, Satan and death at the cross for all he came to save So that those who are saved, you dear folk in here, who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, you can say, along with me, we are more more than conquerors in through him that loved us. More than conquerors in Christ, the one who triumphed at the cross and with his resurrection, triumphed over sin, Satan and death. Again, it is all by the grace of God that we don't just continue on that road to hell, if you're a Christian in here. Let's have a look at verses 12 and 13. And the men said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides, this is the angels now, Hast thou any here besides son-in-law and thy sons and thy daughters and whatsoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place, for we will destroy this place because the cry of them is waxen great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord have sent us to destroy it. In these verses, the angels declare their purpose for coming to Sodom. The Lord have sent us to destroy it, they said. Looking at verse 13, caused me to wonder how much people, how much is it that people really understand about what angels actually do? What kind of idea... People who never looked at a Bible and have got no interest in um, heavenly things, what do they make of angels? Can you remember, Christian, what you thought about angels before you you were saved, before you started to read and study the Bible? I don't know. Angels, just things who float around in the sky, perhaps, with their wings, and uh, that's about it. Um, Possibly nothing more than that. And and even Christians, really. I wonder how much Christians understand about angels, what they actually do. I'm guessing not a lot. Very simply, this is very simply, there are fallen angels, otherwise known as demons or evil spirits, and they include in their ranks the devil, who is the god of this world. The Bible tells us that the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So that's it. The devil, he is one of those fallen angels, demons. He's the arch, the arch um, demon, if you like, the chief of them. And he's walking around this world seeking whom he may devour. The church as a whole and individual Christians are to take measures to stand against the devil and his wiles, the wiles of his the devil and his demons, where to be um, 
on guard, on our guard against the devil who's walking around this world. For example, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 and 12, the Apostle Paul said, Put on the whole armour of God, that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So we, we, we're to put on the whole armour of God that we can stand against the wiles of the devil. And, and as for the rest of what I said there, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, not the things of this world, but we wrestle against the principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places. That is all a reference to the demons. Evil spirits. But also there are elect angels. They're not just these evil angels, the, the fallen angels, demons. But there are elect angels who go to and fro ministering to the church as they take their commands at the throne of God where the head of the church, the Lord Jesus Christ, is seated on the right hand of the Father. What you end up with are elect angels such as the two angels sent by the Lord to deliver righteous Lot and his family before they went on to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities. They're elect angels. They take their commands from the throne of God. Also, there is the devil and his army of demons who are busy in the world, tempting people to conceive and to bring forth sin, as was seen to be the case in the Garden of Eden, and also here in Genesis chapter 19, in Sodom and Gomorrah. Furthermore, the devil and his demons are still busy in the world. Don't just imagine that this uh, was something that was going on many years ago. What What Paul said about putting on the whole armour of God, that ye may be able to withstand uh, stand against the walls of the devil and his demons, that is as, apl- as applicable today as it ever was. Including here in our own land. A land where people willingly transgress God's holy laws and commit all manner of abominations. If you study the book of Daniel you'll see that both the elect angels and the demons are very busy and they are referred to as princes. If you like, the good princes can be seen delivering the righteous and thwarting the advances of the demonic forces. You see that in um, Daniel chapter 7, for example. And that is still going on and you can be sure that ultimately the decrees and the purposes of God who is sovereign over all things, everything, and not only the elect angels, but the demons and even the devil. Everyone and everything. God is sovereign over everything. His purposes, his eternal decrees, they will prevail. So much so that everyone whose name is written in heaven will be saved. No matter how much the devil and his demons wreak havoc in this world, every name that is written in heaven will be saved by the grace of God. 
Uh, and that will happen, of course. When that happens, then will come the end of this world. As King David said, Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honour come of thee, and thou reignest over all, and in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. The greatness, the power, the glory, the victory and the majesty of God can be clearly seen. It can be seen at the cross where the Lord Jesus Christ by his own death dealt that death blow to the devil. We also see it with the triumphal resurrection of Jesus and we see it with his ascension to heavenly glory where he is now seated at the right hand of his father. And we'll see it again when Jesus comes in judgment, at which time he will cast all that offends, including the devil, into the lake of fire. Now we'll look at various responses of certain inhabitants of Sodom when they were informed of the destruction that was about to happen. First of all, we have Lot's son-in-law. Let's have a look at Lot's son-in-law, verse 14. And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. But he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. Lot's sons-in-law, they were either betrothed, engaged to his two virgin daughters, who are mentioned in verse 8, or else Lot had other daughters, who were married to these sons-in-law. We we don't know, it doesn't really matter. Either way, Lot's sons-in-law did not take him seriously when he said to them that the Lord will destroy Sodom. Instead of taking Lot seriously and fleeing from the wrath to come, his sons-in-law simply thought that he was making sport or playing games with them. They didn't take him seriously. Many hundreds of years earlier, when Noah, who was a preacher of righteousness, was building an ark, he no doubt told people about the impending judgment of God upon the earth as he called on them to repent. I say that because he was a preacher of righteousness. He must have preached something, and I can only imagine that he called on the people to repent over the many, many years that he was building the ark. Although I don't necessarily imagine that Noah seemed to them as one who mocked or played games, you know, they were watching him, I don't imagine they necessarily thought Noah's having a laugh with us, telling us to repent. They would have seen him working hard, day in and day out, building that ark. I'm guessing that they would have seen it was very, very serious. Even so, they didn't take him seriously. As Jesus said, In the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. By then it's too late. God shut the door of that ark. 
Last of all, we'll consider Lot's wife. Look at verse 26. But his wife looked back from behind him and she became a pillar of salt. Back in verse 16, it can be seen that an angel took hold of the hand of Lot's wife. And that angel took her out of Sodom, holding her hand. Then in verse 24, the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. Even so, despite the hand of God, graciously, I say the hand of God because let's remember that those angels were representatives of God. So effectively, God graciously took the hand of Lot's wife, took her out of the the city of destruction there. as well as Lot and their daughters. And still we read in verse 26, but his wife Lot, his wife looked back from behind him and she became a pillar of salt. By way of application, a day has been appointed by God when everyone who has ever lived will be judged by his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. When that day comes, the righteous, that is those who have been saved from their sins, justified by faith in Jesus, will go away into life eternal, whereas everyone else will go away into everlasting punishment, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels or his demons. It's one or the other, eternal blessedness or eternal punishment. When Jesus comes again in judgment, We've seen the response here. Lot's sons-in-law, they thought he was having a laugh with them. Lot's wife, she left the city, but then she looked back. How about we think of a big crowd of people where someone shouts, fire, fire. What do you imagine would happen? Someone shouted, fire, 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 in a, a big crowd of people. There'd be panic, wouldn't there? People would flee as quickly as possible. There'd probably be a stampede. There'd probably be people killed in the stampede as people get away because they're terrified because someone shouted fire. Or what about if news broke out that an intercontinental ballistic missile was coming? A nuclear warhead perhaps, eh? It's fair to say that people would get their families and their pets, of course, together as fast as possible, jump in the car and get get away from the place as far as possible. If it was a nuclear warhead, then it would be a waste of time, of course. But anyway, it wouldn't stop you. You'd still flee or get in your bunker or do something. Yet when it comes to being warned about the Day of Judgment, it's very different in that many people, most people in the world, they, they remain unfazed by it all, don't they? They've got that, that um, blank expression on their faces when you talk about the, the judgment to come. And they simply carry on with their sinful lives as they've always done, as they stick their fingers in their ears. They may even imagine those who call on them to repent and believe the gospel are playing games with them. I've seen it, I've seen it all before. 
so many times when I've been doing door-to-door work, people just don't take me seriously or they even might think that I'm having, I'm, I'm crazy or something as they shut the door in my face. I'm not offended by it. I don't expect too much. But I know that is the response of people to being told to repent and to believe the gospel. And any talk of the judgment, boom, the door's shut in your face. And that clearly illustrates the condition of the vast majority, vast majority of people in the world, probably a few people in here this evening, who have not been born again and are alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness and the hardness of their wicked hearts. Also, consider Lot's wife again. She looked back to the city of destruction where the desires of her heart remained and there were dire consequences for her. She became a pillar of salt. What happened with her can be taken as a very serious warning for people who have made a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and who have received knowledge of the truth. I mean, after all, she did leave the city. By the grace of God, admittedly, she left the city. So, people who have received the knowledge of the truth, they've received light. Maybe they've been baptised and received into church membership. And they've tasted something of the bread of heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ. They've tasted him and seen that he is good. Yet for all that, they still look back with longing to their own own sinful ways. Consequently, having tasted Christ, they spit him out and they trample him underfoot. Their actions expose them to be people who never truly possess Jesus as their saviour from sin, even though they may have professed faith in Christ and had a wonderful testimony at the baptismal service and and even sung the hymns better and louder than everyone else, yet they never truly possessed him. They are like the Israelites of old, who, despite God's gracious dealings with them, rebelled in unbelief in the wilderness, and consequently their carcasses fell in the wilderness, and they never entered the promised land because of their unbelief. Even though they'd seen that God parted the Red Sea for them, and they walked through as on dry land. And then the Red Sea was closed on Pharaoh and his army. Even though by day they followed a pillar of cloud and by night they followed God in a pillar of fire. Even though they had bread from heaven, even though they had shoes and clothes that never wore out, it seems that God thought of everything. And still their carcasses fell and they perished in the wilderness because of their unbelief. They never reached the promised land. A true child of God, a true child of God is someone whose earnest desire is to glorify God throughout his earthly sojourn and in death, even though he continues to sin against the God of his salvation. It is his desire to do God's will, to glorify 
his God and Saviour. A true child of God is someone who will endure to the end. And that is because the grace of God that saved him will keep him from falling. It's not dependent upon you, dear Christian. You can thank God. Again, it's the grace of God that saves you. That grace will keep you. And by the grace of God, you will be presented before his presence with, um, without fault and with exceeding joy. When finally you're, you're finished in this world, in God's appointed time, and you go to be with your Saviour and, and see his beautiful face. Consequently, as each new day dawns, the Christian knows that he is one day closer to having his faith, his faith replaced by sight. Whether you're looking back with longing to the things of this sinful world, as Lot's wife did, or else you're looking forward, looking forward as a, a pilgrim and a stranger passing through this world, on a journey that will take you to the heavenly Jerusalem, to the city that have foundations, whose builder and maker is God, depends upon whether or not you see something of the holiness and the purity of God. Whether or not you hate and you abhor your sin. Whether or not you have shown repentance towards God and sought his mercy. Whether or not you have truly trusted in the sinless Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, for your acceptance before God, believing that Jesus carried your sins in his own body at the cross, having kept God's law perfectly throughout his earthly sojourn on your behalf. And whether you now live a born-again life in the risen Saviour who loved you and who gave himself for you. Amen.